Well, good morning, everybody. Just want to say welcome to everyone here in Champaign. And for those that might be joining us online, let me uh, just say welcome to you as well. You know, sometimes your relationship with your kids is kind of like the boy who cried wolf. You guys know what I'm saying? Um, and all the, some of the parents in the room are like, yes, absolutely. You know, you want to believe them, right? Uh, but sometimes they just say crazy things, right? And sometimes, um, sometimes those crazy things are just crazy things. But sometimes, every once in a while, what they say is true. So I have a daughter named Zoe. She's going to be turning four here in just a couple of weeks. And she is like the sassiest redhead on the planet, okay? <laughs> um, like she is just a pistol, right? And, but, she's, but she's also pretty straight up. Right, like she's going to be the kid that one day is just like, yeah, I punched that boy in the face. Like, who cares? Like, she does, she does not try to hide what happened. Uh, she's just brutally honest. A few months ago, uh, my wife and I, we had gotten all three kids to bed, and we were just uh, downstairs watching a show, um, but we heard those footsteps coming down the stairs, right? And so Zoe, she opened the door to downstairs, and we just kind of looked at her and said, Zoe, what's, what's going on? She's like, oh, I, I need to grab my Barbie. We just... We said, Zoe, you, you took your Barbie doll to bed with you. Like, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, but I, I need to go grab my Barbie. And we were like, Zoe, you took it upstairs. And she's like, yeah, but I threw it out the window. And I was like, no, you didn't, Zoe. Like, you can't even open a window. You're three. She's like, and then she starts getting mad, right? She's like, she starts doing that stomping, I want my Barbie doll. And we're like, okay, like, let's, let's calm down. Let's, well, sure, we can go outside to look for the Barbie doll, Zoe. And so we go outside, and surely there's nothing out there. So I said, see, Zoe, there's no Barbie up here. Let's, let's go check upstairs. And so anyways, we, we get upstairs, and what do I find? an open window and her Barbie doll on the roof of the garage where she threw it out the window. And she, I looked at her and she said, see out the window. And I was like, Zoe, that's incredibly dangerous, right? So we had, to, we had to kind of sit down and talk to her and say, you can't open a window and start throwing stuff outside. I would hate for you to be able to fall out the window. And so we went to bed. I apologize for not really believing her. But isn't that so true, though, that with so many of our kids, right, if you have kids or if you spent really time around any kids at all, you know that there's just so much doubt in what they say, right? Because I can also tell you a million stories of things that my kids have done that, or said that they did that are not true, right? That I can go on and on and on and tell you about all the different things that my son said he did, but he actually didn't. But inevitably, there are moments where they, what they say is true, even though we have so much doubt and don't believe what they say. So we're in week four of our series called At the Table. And a table, man, it, it represents so much more than just a place to eat. We all have big moments around a table, right? Whether it's, whether it's a family meeting or maybe you need to sit down and talk with your spouse about the budget. Perhaps it's a place to, uh, to work and get things accomplished. Maybe it's a powerful uh, and meaningful conversation with a friend. But in the life of Jesus, it's no different. There are these big moments that happen all around a table. Moments where Jesus encouraged people around a table, moments where Jesus invited life change around the table, and moments where Jesus challenged people all around a table. So if you guys have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to John chapter 20. But in today's passage, we're going to see the, the disciples gathered together after the crucifixion and death of Jesus. But the question that we all need to wrestle with this morning is this, what does it look like to have doubt in your faith? And so in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, here's what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, 
with the, do- uh, the disciples were to get together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so Jesus had resurrected from the grave. He had just appeared to Mary Magdalene, and her story was starting to spread, right? But no one really believed her. I mean, after all, she was kind of talking about the impossible, right? I mean, Jesus, he was dead, right? They all saw the, the, the death of Jesus. They all saw this happen. And in the wake of Jesus' death, the disciples, they didn't really know what was next, right? Throughout Jesus' ministry, man, he, he foretold them exactly what was going to happen, But somewhere along the line, the disciples still missed it. And so here they are, gathered in what was likely the the same upper room where they had the Last Supper together with Jesus. The the same room where they met met with Jesus to discuss his body and his blood that that was going to be broken and shed. And they were hunkered down, right? They were hunkered down, and then their doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. I mean, they just witnessed a gruesome torture and death of their rabbi and teacher. They probably narrowly escaped arrest themselves in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now that Jesus was gone, and as his followers, they could have been facing a similar punishment, right? As Jesus' disciples, they were probably afraid of these Jewish leaders that, oh yeah, we finally got Jesus, their leader, let's go after his disciples next. And so here they are, just hunkered down in fear. And these, these disciples, though, man, they had given the last three years of their life to Jesus. And this can't be downplayed. This wasn't, this wasn't three years of just going to church. This wasn't three years of them just giving their 10%. This was, this was three years of their life on the road, away from their families, away from all of their past life. And then all of a sudden, man, this all comes to a halt. And they're left wondering, now what? What are we supposed to do? Our Lord, our, our, our Jesus, man, he, he is dead. This guy that we've given the last three, of our, uh, last three years of our life is gone. You, you, can, you can imagine the fear, the fear of the unknown, right? They're probably wanting to get back to Galilee, right? The city, I mean, the city of Jerusalem is, is in an uproar, and they would probably like to get out of the city unseen and undetected. And man, this resurrection story that Mary's starting to talk about, it wasn't going to help anything, that their fear was overwhelming. They certainly wanted to avoid what Jesus had just gone through. But then suddenly, Jesus shows up, right? Jesus, he's standing in the room with them. He didn't knock. He didn't didn't pick the lock. He didn't open the door. He was just there. You can imagine the great fear of the disciples that they would have felt, the the immense amount of confusion and the disbelief. I mean, they just saw Jesus die, and yet here he is standing with them. They knew that he was buried in a tomb, that was being guarded. I mean, how was this possible? How is it possible for Jesus to be standing in this room with them? But Jesus greets them and says, peace be with you. Shalom alakim. This was this common greeting from the time of Jesus. But this word peace isn't so much as, hey, be saved from trouble, but rather it communicates this idea of, hey, be filled up with what you need. And then Jesus, he shows his disciples his hands and his side that were pierced to prove exactly who he was. 
Man, so much happened in this instance of appearance, right? His greeting of peace and his assurance of his identity not only calmed their fears, but it also demonstrated the unmistakable proof that he was alive, right? And the disciples, they were overjoyed not only to see their Savior again, but to also realize that Jesus, he was undefeated by death. All of his claims, all the teachings of Jesus, everything that he said in this moment was being validated, that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And man, the tides of emotion have now shifted, right? What was in this moment of great, immense fear has being shifted over to this overwhelming sense of joy because Jesus is alive. And now these disciples, they are eyewitnesses to this fact that Jesus is alive. And this is crucial because the resurrection required witness. Guys, the resurrection is what our faith hinges on. I mean, if you, if you removed the resurrection, right, then Jesus isn't who he said he was. He didn't do what he said he was going to do. Everything that we have is built on the resurrection. Because if Jesus didn't do exactly what he said he was going to do, then this makes Jesus out to be a liar, right? If Jesus said, in three days, I'm going to raise from the grave, and then if he doesn't do that, now all of a sudden Jesus is a liar, and if Jesus is a liar, then his death, man, it's no different than the criminals being crucified with him. So everything that we have, everything hinges on the resurrection. And so after the resurrection, Jesus appears to more than just the disciples. It appears to the, he appears to multiple groups of people, and it's all to validate his resurrection. He appears to Mary. He appears to the disciples and then to Thomas. And he appears to the 500, which is documented in 1 Corinthians 15. But all of these appearances, man, it takes what could have been just this false fabricated story and turned it into a fact that can be corroborated by multiple eyewitnesses. Guys, there are tons of theories that float around out there trying to disprove the resurrection. Because once again, if you can disprove the resurrection, then the foundation of our faith is shattered, right? If you can disprove the resurrection, then we have nothing to really stand upon. And so throughout history, people have tried time and time again to disprove the resurrection. You can read things about like the swoon theory that says, well, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just passed out, right? Or you can, you can read things like the imposter theory, right? Well, someone who just looked like Jesus, that's who showed up to appear before all of these people. And you can research this time and time again, the hallucination theory, the misplaced body theory, the unknown tomb theory. But in any case, right, throughout, uh, throughout history, right, including today, the biggest and most dependable source of information is corroborated eyewitness testimony, right? And so the people, that, the more people that were there to confirm something or deny something, the more powerful it is, right? The more stories that, the more the stories that stay consistent, the more truthful it becomes, so think about it this way. Think about, think about a wedding ceremony, right? Uh, whoever's officiating the wedding, they usually get to the end and they say something like, before God and before all these witnesses, you have come before us and I now pronounce you husband and wife, right? And then at the end, they, they say, may I present or may I announce for the first time Mr. and Mrs. whoever it is, right? That, that, they, that, that the, the person officiating, they get to announce and pronounce the, the husband and wife. But then, most importantly, the crowd that was there can also announce this couple and testify because they were there, right? They saw it happen. And whenever you sign your marriage license, you need what? You need two witnesses to validate what happened. And the same is true with the resurrection. This is so important. The empty tomb 
wasn't enough. It's not just in the empty tomb. If there's no appearance, then no one knows that Jesus resurrected. Right, but Jesus appearing before all of these people, these different groups of these different groups of people, it validates his resurrection. But man, if Jesus hadn't resurrected and appeared, there would be little to no motive for the disciples to take on a mission in his name. The church doesn't get started. We probably aren't sitting here today. That Christianity really never gets off the ground. But because of the resurrection, and almost more importantly, because of the appearance to the disciples, the old commitment that they made to Jesus was even more compelling. All the talk, all the teachings that Jesus had made, man, that is all of a sudden reignited. They, they, they finally understand Jesus is alive, and they've seen him. And so it starts to make sense. But John, in this account, man, he, he points out two things that Jesus does in this moment. He commissions his disciples and then breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. Guys, there is, there is an interdependence on the gospel message in the church, in the church of God's people. The church needs the gospel to be alive and active. And the gospel needs the church to be a vessel to take the gospel message out and, and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you raise questions at verse 23 in this passage, don't misunderstand. The, the disciples don't have the ability to forgive sins. That power is reserved for Christ. The better understanding would be this, that as you go out, as you are being sent, as you share the gospel message of Christ, man, point everyone to the true source of forgiveness. Namely, if someone, if someone asks if their sins can be forgiven in Christ, absolutely they can. But after this encounter with Jesus... The disciples, they take their newfound seeing belief and witness to someone that should have been at their table to begin with. Let's continue to read in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples, or his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe that Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, this passage was all, I mean, just always used as, man, shame on Thomas. Right? How dare he doubt Jesus? I mean, doubt is not okay. You should not doubt in your faith, right? That Thomas was in the wrong. But man, may we, may, we, may we think about this maybe in a new light. Is this a chance to be thankful for the doubt of Thomas? Because in his doubt, he continued to solidify the resurrection that did actually happen. In the doubt of Thomas, we know that Jesus' appearance was not just illusions created by strong, wishful thinking, right? He wanted to see the wounds. And so Jesus showed him that Jesus appeared to Thomas in the same exact way that he appeared to the disciples. 
Once again, this, this solidifies that the other disciples were not fabricating this story. And to take it a step further, Jesus uses the words of Thomas, even though he wasn't present when Thomas said he needed to see the wounds. But take note, Thomas's doubt was not attacked. It wasn't reprimanded. But rather, the doubt of Thomas is important. So I don't know where you guys are this morning, but maybe you need to hear this. It is okay to doubt in your faith. In our faith, there is room for doubt. Don't allow other people to reprimand your doubts. I mean, I know I had that upbringing, right? That if I started to have questions about God, it was quickly met with, don't question it, just believe. But that's not true. I'm I'm encouraging you. I'm challenging you. Ask the questions. Have doubt. But it's crucial that in your doubt, you do something about it, right? Because doubt can become dangerous when you don't look for answers. It can be extremely dangerous when you just sit in your doubt, right? But when you don't look, when you don't look for solutions. But Thomas had his doubts. I mean, after all, the resurrection was the crazy thing to believe in. And at, in but in Thomas's doubt, he wanted to see evidence. And that's because witness requires evidence. But be careful in this. Thomas isn't rejecting faith, right? There's a big difference between doubt and rejection. Instead, Thomas waits for the evidence, right? He heard the witness of the disciples. He heard the disciples say, we have seen the Lord, right? But in that witness, he wanted the evidence. But doubt, man, it can do a few things. In a positive light, doubt can lead us to conviction, right? Doubt can lead to certainty and strength of reconstruction of our faith, Man, and in doubt, it can lead to great questions that develop and strengthen our faith. And doubt, it can make us take a step back and examine things a little closer, and it can ensure that we are understanding things at more than just face value. That doubt can challenge why you believe what you believe. But if we sit in our doubt, it can also lead to the corrosion and the demolishing of our faith. That in our doubt, if we don't search for responses, the, the doubt will grow into, into rejection of key aspects of foundations of our faith. And so here's the key. When you doubt, doubt well. Do it well. Honor the doubt. Do the homework. Find valuable resources of information. Don't just take social media's word for it. And don't just take the first thing that you presume. But if you're going to doubt, do it well. And do the work. Because once we believe we become witnesses to that change of life. And so, if, so find the evidence that we require to become a witness of the power of Christ. Let's keep reading in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you, or these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That this is the purpose of the gospel of John. So the the natural question for us becomes this. How do we find evidence and provide witness today? That we don't, we don't get to look at uh, some, some, some photographs. We don't get to, we don't get to claim eyewitness testimony. And so what do we do? How do we know? How do we believe? Now, hear me say, this is a longer conversation than what we have time for today. But I would ask you this. What do you need to see to believe? 
do you look at do you look at the Bible? The Bible is the inerrant word of God, but it's also a trustworthy historical document that we can trust its validity that has stood the test of time. You know, one of the most encouraging things about Scripture to me is that, man, throughout history, I mean, since the Bible was formed and created, people who are way smarter than I am and way wiser than I am, they have spent so much of their time and energy trying to disprove this book with no success that we can continue to trust the reliability of Scripture. Does that help resolve some of your doubts? The second thing I would point you to is this. Do you trust the work of the Holy Spirit? That we hear that the gospel, we hear the gospel message, right? We hear the call to repent of our sins and know that through the guidance and help and conviction of the Holy Spirit that we are saved and renewed through the resurrection of Christ. And so when you place your faith in Jesus, can you see the work of the Spirit in your own life or in the life of others? Do we see the fruit? Do we see the Spirit at work in one another? Does that solidify your faith? Does that resolve some of your doubts? Or finally, what about the church? When you look at the church, do you, do you see how someone's faith in Jesus has changed them? Does not life change speak the loudest? Does not a loving community stand out? Does not a call to unity in the midst of division cause curiosity? Isn't that why when people share their stories, it's so powerful, right? Because do we start to see Jesus in one another? How are we experiencing the grace of Jesus? I would ask it maybe this way. Are we living evidence of the resurrection? The disciples, man, they, they saw Jesus and they went to Thomas first. They went to the one they knew, the one that they loved, the one that should have been at their table saying, we all saw Jesus. And that testimony started to shape Thomas. But man, one of my favorite things about the church, I was at a, I was at a conference um, few years ago, and I heard a guy talking about the church. And he described the church as a beautiful mess. <laughs> the church is just a beautiful, a beautiful thing, but it's, it's pretty messy because we're full, we're full of people that make mistakes. But one of my, when he said this, he said, this is one of the most powerful things of why I believe in the church. He says, no other, no other organization in the history of mankind can fail as much as the church has failed and still have success. He's like, that's why I believe in the church. Because we know God's behind it, right? I mean, you can look throughout the very ugly church history that exists, right? And yet we still have so much success. It's not because we're running it, right? It's because God is behind it. I mean, what other organization can fail as much as we fail and still have success? Does the church resolve some of your doubts? But here's what we must get to. Once we are convinced of the truth of the resurrection, we are evidence and witness to the resurrection. And if so, if you're having doubts, look around the room. Where do you see Jesus? Are you seeing him in one another? Do you see the work in your own life? And so whether it's, a quick or, whether it's quick or slow to be sure, whether the doubts are many or few, man, there is a step after becoming sure, and it's in surrender. That when we are sure that Jesus is Lord, surrender is the next step, and we live out a surrendered life, it looks best when that surrendered life is sent. 
And so we become sure, we become confident in the resurrection of Jesus. That's the truth that we stand upon. And therefore, because we know that's true in our life, we therefore surrender our life in obedience. And then we are sent out to spread the good news of the gospel. So man, if you're having doubts, if you're not so sure, man, start to look around. Find the proof that you need. Find the evidence that you need. And then become confident and stand in that truth. And then, man, we surrender our lives back to Jesus, and then we are sent out in his name. And as we move to our time of response this morning, I just want to ask you guys, who is at your table that needs to hear, that needs to see, that needs to know and perhaps come to believe as you have? Because one thing is clear. When we place our faith in Jesus, we all have a role to fulfill. I mean, Jesus said in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus says in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, he says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. But then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Guys, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, if we believe in the gospel message, if we know that Jesus has come, he lived a perfect, sinless life to die on the cross, and then three days later, he resurrected from the grave. If we believe in that, then we are commissioned and sent. And there are, so many, there are so many different things that we could talk about and spend time talking about how people have tried to disprove Christianity and the resurrection, the people that try to breathe out doubt, that try to breathe out these big questions that make people go, huh, I wonder if that's true. And then people start, they start stepping away from faith. But I'm confident that if you take the time to do your homework, to do the research, then you will find what you need to be able to believe in Jesus. But man, because of all these people that, that, that just try to create doubt and try to, to get people to step away from their faith, the amount of people that try to disprove Scripture and disprove, uh, disprove the resurrection— it's honestly encouraging to me in, in some way that people have tried to disprove God, to say he isn't real, and they have not had any success. Guys, our faith is alive because Jesus is alive. And may our faith and our hope be found solely in Jesus. And that's exactly what we remember when we take communion. And so if you have your elements, I want to encourage you to get those out this morning. I don't know if this is your first time joining us or maybe you've been with us for a while, but if you have faith, if you believe in Jesus, then we invite you to take communion with us. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, right before his death and his, in his crucifixion, 
he sat down with his disciples and they had a meal together. And in that meal, he kind of paused everything and he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. And likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you, take and drink. That we do this in remembrance of Jesus. You know, we, we call this our time of response and we, because we take time to respond in a few different ways. That in our worship, it's our response to God. God has already demonstrated his love for us. He's already sent Jesus. And so God has extended this invitation to each and every one of us to come into a relationship with him and we do that through our faith in Jesus. And so we respond. We respond by taking communion and, and remembering him. We respond by diving into God, his word, and to, to grow in our faith. And we respond through singing of these songs. Guys, I pray it's more than just words on a screen. I pray that we can exalt the name of Jesus together as his body. As the church, that we exalt the name of Jesus in unity together. And one of the ways that we respond is through our giving of our tithes and our offerings. We understand that God has been so incredibly generous with us that we have so many blessings to be thankful for. And so we choose to be generous in response to him. You can do that through our app or you can do that in the give and respond boxes around the room. But would you guys stand with me as as we pray and as we prepare to respond to God this morning? God, thank you for just your generous love God, that you continue to love us. And so, God, we are so thankful for the evidence that exists, that we can be confident in our faith, and that we can share the hope of the gospel message. God, that you love us, that we can find forgiveness, we can find salvation, we can secure our eternity with you. So God, I pray that as we worship your name this morning, man, that it would be sweet to your ears. God, you are above everything in our life. And our hope is found in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.